0: Hello and welcome, I'm Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Bell Podcast. Joining Ian and me on this podcast is Alison Goodman. Alison is the author of six novels, including Lady Helen and the Dark Days Club, the first in a Regency Supernatural trilogy, and Ian and Iona, a New York Times best-selling fantasy duology. Lady Helen and the Dark Days Pact, the second Lady Helen novel, is due out December 2016. In the media section, we chat long and lovingly about Guardians of the Galaxy, the Night Manager, Victoria, Versailles, and Tom Hiddleston. I don't think that last one needs much of an explanation. For the topic, we chat about unclear narrative and the loops we find ourselves in as writers. As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate in contacting me on my email, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. Today, we're at the Brunswick Street Bookstore, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ian Laking. Ian, how have you been? Good, thanks, Joel. Very good. How are you? I am good. You just ruined my sound levels,
2: Ian. This I know, is, I know. Is, this is not what we do. Anyway, anyway, how was your week, Pete? Oh, it's been good. It's been good. I've been practicing my shouting skills. Yes. Uh, but no, it's it's been pretty good. Um, I've been enjoying the lack of uh, traffic during the school holidays. Uh, so that's <laughs> yeah, it's, that's basically it. Uh, that, that's my life,
3: just yep. commentating
2: on traffic, you know. But it's been, it's been alright. It's been a pretty casual week. It's been pretty casual. Any writing done? Any reading? Yeah, a bit of writing done. Uh, I managed to order a, a book cover from uh, my good friends at Art Colgie so that's kind of fun. So I'm waiting waiting to get a draft back of that, like, tonight or tomorrow night, so yay. Cool. It's exciting. Fantastic. Um, we have a
1: guest today, Ooh. as we most often do, Allison. Good hello, to have you on the
3: hello. show. Hello, Great to be here.
1: Fantastic. So, how has your day and slash week
3: been? I've been writing today. I've been doing first pages all last week for two uh, con- countries. <laughs> and now that that's finished, I can get back to the writing the third book in my series, which is um, the Lady Helen series.
1: Yes. Mm. So, how is that going?
3: Very well. I am I love getting into the research. And I was researching mesmerism today. Oh, as mesmerism. you do. Yes. Yeah, Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Common thing that people do, <laughs> <laughs> so what's involved in that what what is it exactly?
3: Well, I'm just uh, sticking my toe into the into the uh, sea of mesmerism mm-hmm. um, but it, it's the very, very early uh, forerunner of hypnotism mm-hmm. and it okay. was based on an animal mm-hmm. magnetism ah. yes okay. um, so there was a belief that the body had um, energy fields that were animal magnetism. And the whole mesmerism was to to somehow manipulate those magnetic fields to create um, and um, create kind of ways of unblocking them. So there's also a forerunner of Reiki and things like that. But also to um, uh, heal diseases.
1: Mm. Wow!
3: Yeah, I'm reading the 1851 manual on how to be a mesmerist. <laughs> <laughs> There's a manual for it. There, there it you is. go. <laughs> wow!
1: There you Goodness, go. that's fantastic. That's longevity for you. Right I there. know. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, well, there you go. That's something that I'm gonna have to look up now that I'm curious. Yep. Uh, but um, so so here's a tangent. Here's a tangent for you. Mm. Um, since I'm I. I write in a similar Victorian-esque time period. Mm. It's something that's close to my heart. But why do you think we're so interested in that? Mm. Why do you think that the modern audience specifically, Mm. and I'm just coming out of eight ball here because we didn't prep this, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) It just came to my mind. I'm just just curious. Why do you think people like writing in that period and like reading in it?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I write in the Regency, which is 1811 to 1820, forerunner of the Victorian era. Yeah. and I think of the Regency as kind of like a 1960s. Mm, mm. Uh, it's full of uh, some great louche behaviour as well as um, mm-hmm. the beginnings of the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, the Victorian era has a lot of appeal. And I think it, it is because of that great innovation, that sense of... of, um, of a world exploding out, becoming the modern world that we know today. Yeah. Um, it was mm. on that kind of brink, wasn't it? And then it you know, fell into the into the kind of the modern world. And, um, you know, it, it's obviously where steampunk is centred. Yeah. Mm. Um, and we have that kind of idea of that branching off into what could have been, if it was more cog-driven, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for those who are aesthetically... Minded, it is a very beautiful age, mm, um, you know, and it, it, it rolls into the Belle Epoque and yeah. and um, and all those m- marvelous um, Art Deco going flowing into the Art Deco after that. So there's this beauty about it as well. Mm. Um, there's also it was a very clean era. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was yeah. Good plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> Some good plumbing. That <laughs> Don't was a pretty good. Underestimate <laughs> the power of plumbing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and a lot of you know um, Brunel. Was building those beautiful yep. uh, structures. So yeah, I think that it's that combination of innovation, scientific innovation, and beauty mm-hmm. um, to appeal. Yeah,
1: it's it's interesting because I was I was thinking about this the other day. Um, that one of the most common comfort fiction is often within that period of what I mean by comfort fiction is you know the steady um, mm. you know. Uh, detective or inspector style yeah. mystery yeah. Mm. in that era um, and often it's the most digestible, the most interesting to people when they think of something like that they're like oh definitely I'll get into that mm. Mm. it's curious because it's, it's a little um, contrasty with our age, we're a very progressive age yeah. and you know I suppose the Victorian or you know pre- Regency to a lesser extent but a little bit um, was an age that was still quite traditional it had elements of progressiveness mm. with the opening up of you know everything science medicine, etc mm. mm. but still the aesthetics were were quite traditional, and I was wondering about that like um mm. it's curious mm. what do you think
3: well I think that um I, I think of the Victorian period as being as being very progressive mm. um, obviously um, not within you know one of my sort of f- favorite um Areas which is women's rights mm. yeah. um, and women's kind of history, but you know that that kind of sense of, of moving forward through through science and mm. the um, and you know alongside that is that kind of great surge of spiritualism. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we had the two running together, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and you know it is such a, a rich, a rich, um, a rich world, and of course it's where the the absolute. Quintessential detective comes from mm. um, being Sherlock Holmes. Yep. Mm, that's um, right. So I think that's why people often return to that era as being like a golden age mm-hmm. of of that you know that kind of rational thinker. Yeah. Mm.
1: Mm. Interesting. Well, there you go. That's a tangent for you. It's good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on a side note, um, as you might have noticed from the previous recording, my voice was shot entirely, and so I sounded quite bad. And today I sound. Probably worse, but hopefully you'll be able to bear through with that. But that was basically how my week's been going. Um, so let's move straight on to the media section and what we've been watching. So let's start with you, Ian. What have you got for us?
2: Yeah, well, a few things uh, popped up. I've, I've checked out a couple of new comedies uh, recently, a couple of Netflix comedies. So I decided to try, um, off the back of the Emmys, decided to try Aziz Azari's uh, new show. So did one episode of that, and then I was like, "Well, look, I still hadn't tried the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt," so decided to give that a crack, and boy, uh, I was hooked straight away with that, and just fantastic. Uh, yeah, just fantastic when people define characters straight out, and uh, you can kind of see where things are going to go, and uh, I really enjoyed that. So I've been doing a bit of that, and uh, today I did a double feature of movies, um, and that was watching a classic in The Matrix. Everyone's favourite high school movie to study. I mean, I'm, just, I'm, I'm thinking through all this stuff. Anyway, that was great. And uh, The Matrix and um, The Prestige, uh, yeah. which was fantastic. I mean, the, the Prestige, this is my third time watching The Prestige. I'm a huge sucker for anything, uh, Nolan. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, I, I got I got more out of it again because I was watching with a really keen eye and especially... Um, you know, the other thing I've been doing over the last uh, month is I started out reading uh, Robert McKee's story, so it's really been top of mind for me, uh, thinking about story and about threading a narrative through. So, yes, it was really interesting watching how how well constructed the prestige is. It's it's a masterpiece, really, in many ways. And uh, so, I've been, yeah, that's kind of been my uh, my radar for the last couple of weeks.
3: Mm. Yeah, I've been to uh, McKee's mm. story seminars, which mm. uh, which I loved. Um, mm. And have read the book over and over again because I'm very much a a, um, a key follower. Yeah. And the way that I construct story. Mm. Um, but of course, the most perfect film in the world is Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Oh, I'm so happy. Guardians of the Galaxy.
1: That. Oh, that makes oh, me feel wow. so warm and fuzzy on the inside. <laughs> I'm so happy. Got a fan for life.
2: Yeah. There. <laughs> That's right. So you've been watching that, have you?
3: Um, probably I'm up to about my fifteenth view. <laughs> wow!
2: So I've, I've got to know you, you've got me. You've piqued mm. my interest. So mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy, what's what's the thing that you feel really defines it as being so great for you?
3: I think it is the the beautiful setup and payoffs, um, the way that it is lovingly set up, even through that troll doll. Floating through. Mm-hmm.
4: The yep. <laughs> through yep. <laughs> right. Just
3: <laughs> paid off at the. You know, oh, I'm not going to say that. Uh, yep. It's paid <laughs> off quite well somewhere along the line in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yep. um, just in case. But um, yeah. Um, you know, the um, the characterization, the humor, the, mm-hmm. s- the tight storyline. Yeah. The fact that, you know, Rocket, Rick, Rocket Raccoon says why are you still have it?
4: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was good That's good It's yeah.
2: <laughs> um, that, interesting that you mentioned that and uh, sorry you did just trigger me to think of one other one that I watched, I re-watched uh, because my, my parents were visiting, I re-watched with my mum Zootopia and uh, the right. storyline for that is a lot tighter than I realised on second watching I was like mm. actually this is, it's Quite well, uh, quite well tied together from the beginning. So uh, think about tight storylines, absolutely. Mm, mm. But I'm going to have to rewatch Guardians of the Galaxy mm. now. Yeah. yeah, on your uh, recommendation. Yeah. 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 The
1: curious thing is, I want to dig into this and feel. You know, feel free. This is a spoiler. You know, friendly zone. So you know, yeah. for everyone that's worried right now, you should probably turn off for the next five minutes, probably. Um, but here's the thing, Alison, that I've, I like you have been the the um the prophet of, of Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> spreading the good news <laughs> yeah. uh, as it were. Um and the thing is I either get the reaction which is, yeah, it was an alright movie mm. Mm. or I get the um I didn't get it. Like I didn't get why people are so excited about this
4: movie. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um
1: and and it comes, I think, from two Either two audiences. One, I feel like the perfect audience for this is not uh, a children's market or a young adult market, mm. because I feel like that was mm, the market yeah. that it looked like it would be for, and the people who went to it watching, nearly all of them were disappointed. Yeah. They got the surface jokes, yeah. but they didn't get like
3: they didn't get the essential dryness of yeah. the entire um, movie. The, it's not you know, a very
1: American movie. In like yeah. in mm. a. Quote unquote, American movies don't have a lot of dry humor. They have mm. a lot of slapstick. Mm. It's just a, that's their way of filmmaking. In many ways, the film was like a British comedy um, in an American setting, mm. I suppose. Um, and you mentioned dryness, but also it's the, um, it's the references. The references oh, yeah. were out of the age gap for the majority, I think, of, yeah. the, of its
4: audience <laughs> as well.
3: Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, Footloose. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, it's just right down my alley, you know. It's it's so kind of good. I, I, I was literally, I, I had to pick myself off the ground, and yeah, <laughs> after yeah, you know, after fifteen viewers I'm still on the ground, yeah. and it's like, but the, you know, that's so cruel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was so good.
1: Yeah, 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 and and like you know all the Walkman references yeah. and you know yeah, the songs yeah. that w- that were yeah. played, yeah. and yeah. I, for me, it's it's just that kind of film. It's the soft, perfect, enjoyable watch for me. Yeah, mm. yeah, um, yeah. But yeah,
3: and I mean, th- some of the um, the sight gags. Uh, mm. I mean, well, obviously, there's an entire scene that is a sight gag, which yeah. of course is in the in the prison. Yep.
4: Yeah, um, yeah,
3: which is just perfectly timed and and perfectly. You know, if you look at there's a particular. I mean, not that I've gone into this into great detail, <laughs> but there is, <laughs> uh huh. But there is a particular shot in that in that whole sequence yeah. where you see. Um, um, Drex move up, yeah, um, mm. into shot, so that you have um, Groot ripping yeah. out the yes, uh, mm. thing. I know it, and, yeah. you, and you see you see that. So there's this kind of depth of vision of mm. Groot, Draft, yeah, and then the the three uh. sitting in the front just straight down, and then it's just this beautiful sight gag, which is just yeah. again, you know, every yeah. time I've watched it so many times, I've actually gone over that particular scene over and over again because mm. it is so beautifully framed. Yeah, the cinematography. Um, yeah, it is. It's fabulous, and um, and every time I get, I laugh. Yeah. Every time mm. I laugh, yep. um, because um, you know, aesthetically it's beautiful, mm. and mm. F- it's just hilariously set up.
1: And it's, it's the vibrancy of the color palette as well. Yeah. It's oh, like, yeah. Mm. Th- I, and it's very deliberate. You you can tell like this wasn't just an accidental choice of color palette, no. but it's like mm. you know they're evoking things like the Star Trek, you know, original feeling of that, yeah. you know, yeah. the way those navy officers are dressed at the yeah. end of the film yeah. and it's yeah. like
3: yeah.
1: ah you're just you're doing it right. Mm. Yeah. Um
3: and it's got a lot of heart. Yeah. I mean I mean yeah. it's probably unfashionable to call, talk about heart, but there's a lot of heart there that that really is, um, you know. Um, uh, I think, you know, just in the in the kind of even the minor characters, mm. um, you know, you know the um, the uh, uh, oh, I can't remember his name. Sorry, um, the guy in the who's the cop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and, uh,
1: and you feel bad for him, You, feel, you know? and then
3: you know, yeah, I don't believe it. <laughs> anyone's a hundred percent. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you know. that's true. And,
3: and you know, it's it's just these little touches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm probably rhapsodizing a little bit too much, but so, I'll, I'll No. I'll, it's all right. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I'll
1: join you on the violin. That's fine. It's great. Yeah. Um I hardly ever get this opportunity to talk about Guys of the Galaxy, so I'm <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> um but uh have you been watching anything else?
3: I have. Mm-hmm. Um I've been watching uh, I've been a Michael Weatherly fan for a very long time, uh, mm-hmm. so he's left NCIS now and moved yeah, right. into his own show, Bull.
4: Okay. And okay. I saw the
3: pilot of that, which was quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's um based around jury law- lawyers um, who choose um juries. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he sure is, is a specialist in the area, so it's quite interesting. I don't know how it will hold up for an entire yeah. show, Um, But yeah, it was good. Um, Also, for those who do like a bit of Victorian age, there's Mm -hmm. um, a new show, well, not that new, but um, called Victoria, Uh Mm. starring Jenna Coleman, Doctor Who's assistant. Oh, yes. Yes, I've heard of this. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, Yeah. I enjoyed that too. I'm also um, recently finished Versailles. Again, yeah, yeah that I, was
1: What what did you think about Versailles?
3: Oh, I'm mm. sorry, there was a lot of wi- women coming out of fountains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really, <It's> a, yeah, <laughs> the writers just
1: loved that. They yeah, were just yeah. like, Women out of fountains, we got to put this in every episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: um, having said that, there was a gratuitous male um, nudity as well. So oh, yeah, there, yeah, There's plenty
1: uh, on both sides. Yeah,
3: yeah, that yeah. was great. Yeah, um, I liked it, I, I, I you enjoyed liked it? it, yeah, mm. I enjoyed it because of. Uh, because of it's basis in truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I thought the the uh, brother relationship was very interesting. I thought that was the best thing. Yeah, I thought
1: yeah. I thought his relationship with his brother and just his brother in general was probably the best character of the show. Yeah. I don't know if I liked Versailles though. Versailles yeah. was like a show that was.
3: It's quite cold.
1: Yeah. It's. It, mm. I like. Hmm, I like. I feel like it dwelt on characters that didn't seem to get a payoff. That didn't seem to have a point other than to show the world of Versailles. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I that's feel the like trouble with histories, yeah. and I, mean the, the, I yeah. mean, the thing
3: is that the, people don't have. I mean, in real life, people often don't have payoffs, which is quite yeah. annoying for the fiction writer. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's there, ah. <laughs> it,
1: and 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 the and the thing about that is, it's like often those are the characters that you'd rather not focus on, right? But in mm. this one, they focused on them. Yeah. And um, mm. yeah, just I like I like some characters. Generally, did float my boat. Um, it was what's his name? It's the. Um, Sort of the bodyguard character. What's
3: his name? Yeah, what's his name? Um,
1: He's very ruthless. Kills a lot of people. The ruthless guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Reminded me of Michael Winkett in the... Nineteen ninety three, Three Musketeers. Oh, oh yeah, well, <laughs> well, wow, yeah, well, we, we, oh yeah. We, <laughs> talk about a reference. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, that one. talk <laughs> I about love a that reference. Movie. That was a sick All movie. All for one. That was such a good movie. Great <laughs> soundtrack. It was so ridiculous. That movie yeah. was so good because you know, David. You know, like ah. Yeah. Uh, it was a great one. It was a great film. Story of a D'Artagnan very
2: well from that, yes. Just the
1: most Americanized D'Artagnan, yes, gratuitous American accent. That was But a, yes. still, it was a lovely film. Anyway, the reason I bring that up is tangent. Uh yeah, he had very strong similarities to Michael Winkett's portrayal of Rochefort in, mm-hmm. in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, right. and I loved his performance. And I talked mm. about Michael Winkett on the last episode. That's really but good.
3: um Yeah. Oh, I think I think that um you have to you have to bow, <laughs> bow mm. to um, George Blagden's um, yes, king from Louis. Vikings fan. Yeah, yeah, King Louis the fourteenth. It's it's quite marvelous mm. what he does. He makes a particularly unsympathetic king, character sympathetic, um, quite sympathetic. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, the fact that you know the um, the brother relationship is based in in reality. You know, yep. what, what mm. they did to his brother, you know, um, to make him uh, not a threat.
1: Lesser, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah.
3: To, n- to, to not a threat to the um kingship was quite amazing, yeah, and, and what that, that did had the ra- had character. that ramifications for yeah. his yeah. for his whole life, mm.
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, Versailles is an interesting show, um, I'd like to see where it goes. I don't know if they've renewed it for season two or not, they have, they have, mm-hmm. there you go. Um, I'll, I want to see if it's got legs, I want to see if that show's yeah. got legs. I felt it was going off towards the end, but. Well, the, I feel like that
3: ending was um, based in reality. Yeah, it certainly was. That's yeah. the one
1: thing I will say about it. Mm. They kept pretty strongly to the events. Maybe yeah. not the transitions, but the events, certainly. So. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. The transitions were a bit awkward, I thought. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They were a bit like,
3: oh, okay, I guess. Let's, yeah, <laughs> let's chuck in another behind. Rump. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> and the and fountain. Rum. And, yeah, <laughs> dum-dum-dum. <And> <laughs> dum, yep, it was great.
1: Uh, <laughs> very funny. Um, anything else, Alison?
3: What else have I been watching? Um... Look, I, I, it, it's been a little while since I watched it, but I wanted to bring it up because it is such a good series, mm-hmm. which is The Night Manager.
1: Uh, oh, we, well, that ties the segues. We didn't even plan this. No, we, we totally
2: didn't plan this, this, but we were talking about this.
1: So. Yeah, this was my my pick for my show as well. So go yeah, ahead, yeah. and then we'll, we'll have well, a convo. Well, getting past
3: the Tom Hiddleston effect. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> wow. Well, well, it's the slight bit of Jewel that appears... No, no! <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. Yes, I understand. Continue. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but apart from that, I think that um, it was very tight writing. Yes. It was beautiful mm-hmm. writing. Um, the level of suspense maintained through, I think it's six episodes, so it was yeah. a, a, it's a six episode one, was just nerve shredding. Yep. Um, mm. But in a quiet way. Yep. Um, you know, you, you saw you saw some of the payoffs um, coming, but mm. even that didn't wreck the payoff. Um, of course, it had the marvelous Hollander as Corky. Oh my um, goodness! So good. So, oh, good, so good, so good, so, so, good. so <laughs> vicious. Yes, <laughs> Yes. great. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that it's it was um, it went into places that I wasn't expecting. In some points, yeah, so I it was great. And Hugh Laurie as yeah, yeah. as the villain, perfect.
1: Which mm. I think nobody saw him playing a villain and then he did it to perfection, I feel. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll I'll agree with the whole drool on Tom Hiddleston thing cuz that was yeah, it's very hard to get over that. But once you once you cross that bridge, it was much easier <laughs> to watch the show. Yeah. Um for me. But it it's interesting, isn't it? It's like Tom Hiddleston as an actor is a very talented actor, but it's amazing to see how he's like out people outshine him throughout this show. Just mm. like and from characters you don't expect, um, I. Complete- Olivia Coleman. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah. She was fantastic. Isn't she?
3: She's she's one of I mean she's I don't think she's underrated in England, but she, mm. I think she's generally quite underrated. Yeah. Um, and she is yeah. a marvelous actress.
1: Yeah, I saw her in Broadchurch, is where mm. I first yes. saw her, and yeah. I fell in love with her. She was such a good actor. Again, the actress. first
3: season of that was was gorgeous. Yeah. I loved it. I I was there every time. Second season, it jumped the shark for me in about episode two or three. Right. right. Um, mm. but, um, yes. but yeah, Olivia Colman um, Dibsecki, I can't remember Yes, yeah, yeah Elizabeth um, um, yeah. Yeah, mm. um yeah She was marvellous as well um, Had that kind of ethereal yeah. vulnerability yeah. That, I think mm. uh, her
1: character was interesting foil To um, mm. Olivia Coleman's yes. character mm. I think yeah. as yeah. well And I think that was a mm. deliberate distinction mm. um, But yeah, no, I, I think the Night Manager, I just watched it, so I just finished it yesterday, um, and I loved it.
3: What I, about the ending? Was it a sellout? So
1: here's the thing. Yeah, this is, this is where jo- Joel and Ian. I
2: disagree. I really, I, I was disappointed personally. Now, I haven't read the Le Carre novel, and I yeah, really neither. feel like I should, um, but I mean, they obviously updated it really well. The way they contextualize everything, fantastic, but I felt that the ending, for me, it just felt like, um, I, I guess I was expecting some kind of a, more of a, tragic ending or some kind of a, a sacrifice or a cost or um it just kind of felt like it fizzled i think for mm-hmm. me um and yeah I, I enjoyed the series but it really didn't st- i won't be rushing back to watch it again personally um I, some really great performances but yeah especially the, the ending for me fizzled that's my take on it
3: i think that the uh the payoff with the hugh Laurie character worked for me i felt a great mm-hmm. amount of schadenfreude delight <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> yeah. but the app, the absolute ending was perhaps a little bit of a, I felt like a slight pander um, mm. to the happy yes. ending. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't against it because I am a natural optimist. Yeah, <laughs> natural romantic. A yeah. natural romantic, an optimist. Yeah. Um, well, you r- you write Regency fiction, so well, you, you, yeah, you, know, you have I, to be a romantic. Write, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it doesn't it doesn't necessarily go together, but That's I, true. I I feel <laughs> that there is a um yeah. a romantic streak in me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I. It's, I think I know I call it more of a Star Trek streak because there's a kind right. of optimism for the world. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. I hope.
1: Yeah. I think uh, I I like the ending. Mm. I feel like maybe the performances didn't work for me. Mm. Or rather, the At way. The very ending.
3: It's like yeah. there was a scene. Yeah,
1: Spoilers ahoy! Um, <laughs> there's a scene where Hugh Laurie is taken away in a police yeah. van.
3: Well, not quite the police. Well, van. Well, not yeah. quite the police. <laughs> he's probably going to get dun, his dun, dun. fingers chopped off. But like yeah.
1: the and you've got these criminals who are basically oh. not going to take him to jail. No, um, no. He he's some... going to be buried alive. Yes. Uh, the and the fact that he yells in that scene,
4: didn't...
1: like when he was like, yeah, he's so angry and he was like kicking and I was like. You wouldn't do that. I feel like as a character, he always reminded me of that. um, um, And I cannot believe my mind has just (laughs) flown uh, away as it has been the whole day. Um, Conrad. um, Joseph Conrad. Heart of Darkness? Thank you. So Heart of Darkness. um, You have Kurtz. uh, He was that kind of character for me. But it's, it's almost like Kurtz without the veil. It's right. like you see him throughout the entire mm. show. I
3: don't know if I can agree. I think Dunno. that I think that he is a man who, when everything is in his way, mm. is extremely cool. But mm. at the very end, he he lost it because it kind of yeah, see, he, he mm. tantrumed.
1: I would I would like to believe that the, it was a tantrum if they had shown me like that side of him before. If mm. they had been right. like. This is him in control. This is him when he's not in control. But mm. since I never got to see the not in control bit, yeah. the not mm. in control bit was at the end for me. So mm. I was like, oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. So it it's probably true, but I just couldn't accept that. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I guess you would do that.
3: Yeah. Um, I, I, I was quite surprised that... Um, the um, Elizabeth DeBecky character survived. Oh, I, she, I know. She was
1: on the death list for me. I, I was know. like, I saw her at the start of the series. I was like, yeah, and yeah, you're yeah, dead. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> you're dead. Line up. Too beautiful, too yeah. vulnerable. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh yes, yeah. yes. This is crossed off the list. And, uh, yeah,
2: and her surviving maybe was a problem. Like, I don't yeah. know. Well, ever Spoilers. Everyone pulls through. I think that you the care thing. about. I just didn't believe that you could get through that. Yeah, everyone that you really felt an attachment to pulled through. And for me, I guess that I I my suspension of disbelief kind of dropped away. There, I'm like, mm. oh okay. I mm. just it seems unlikely to me that you come through this unscathed. Mm. See, I feel like the cost for me came right at the start of the show.
1: The cost for the mm. ending for yeah. me, and that's why I could accept the ending. Was like. True. Oh, this sucks! Like right at the start, mm. and then you're like, "This is how he gets his comeuppance." Yeah, it's not about it's not about the character getting sucked again, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I
3: mean, well, the cost is to the Tom Hiddleston yeah, character, exactly. who's yeah. who's now thrust into this world mm. where he's basically going to be alone for the rest of his life. Yep. Um, yeah. And um, and you yeah, know tragic tragic Tom Hiddleston what more do you want and he and he you know and his
1: and his character goes through some tragic progression as well yeah. like he does some pretty yeah. awful
3: stuff yeah yeah he's he's his 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 soul yeah if you want to get into yeah, it it's tarnished. Up, his, yeah mm. it's been tainted
2: and and i do love one thing that i did really love though was the uh, the the corrupt uh, insiders in uh in, oh, played by Tobias Menzies. Yeah, just m- one really, of my favorite actors. They really did. That, that was really great. And for yep. me, they were the villains. So I really was like, mm-hmm. yeah.
3: it's so easy to believe in English yep. corruption. Yeah, I <laughs> oh, just like, and
1: MI6 is corrupt. What else of is new? Course. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> so I did. I did oh, really
2: enjoy that. And I think overall, it, it was well. It was a Polish series. It was well done. I just personally, I felt like for me the ending quite weird but I I do certainly take your point about the cost at the beginning Um, Mm -hmm. absolutely that's true
3: I've got to as a side thing here um, talking about the uh, corruption of MI6 and things like that Mm. um, I'm writing in the Regency and Mm -hmm. there was literally this is true Mm. um, a committee for secrecy set up really (laughs) Oh my goodness. <laughs> to make Sounds sure they right. could, could kind of cover things up. Yeah, <laughs> oh, uh, The cover up squad. It's pretty hilarious. They're like that's Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for state secrets. Oh
4: mm, goodness. Uh, that's I like hilarious.
2: It. Mm. Um I do actually have to bring it just uh this is just to pull it back to something completely different. I I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, but I stumbled upon this thing. The video kind of went viral over the last month as well, which was um, lessons from the screenplay. And it's uh, it's a video analyzing why the Joker is the perfect antagonist for yes. Batman. I uh, don't know if you've seen it, but mm. um, the, the guy's analysis is excellent. And I actually watched a couple of his uh, Sympathy for a... Um, antagonist which was great and he pulls a lot from Robert McKee um but it's definitely worth checking out especially the Batman ones so I just really had to put it out there if you're looking for something <laughs> interesting if you're looking to get into screenwriting uh, mm. there's some great analysis there and it's, mm. it's worth watching and it's entertaining yeah mm.
1: D- diving into that whole like structural thing is like yeah that's super fun it's like to see how they craft a character and manipulate an audience Is like mm. that's how you do screenwriting it's
2: great mm. sorry for pulling it back I just had to that no 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 I had no, to
1: mention it that's that's very good, um, but yeah. So, Night Manager, that was good. Mm-hmm. I think I think we can we can all agree. Ian's still a little iffy on the ending, maybe.
2: I'll give it a seven and a half out of ten. I don't know. All right. It's Apparently, true. we're doing ratings. Good, <laughs> not great. Let's, let's not make that a thing. Let's <laughs> good not let's great. not do not. this. <laughs>
1: Binary numbers. Um, let's move on if we have not seen anything else that we want to talk about? Fantastic. Um, let's jump right into the topic for today, which is all about unclear narrative. So um, this is a thing that's very close to my heart because I'm doing a second edition of my first novel and working through it and you know, fixing basically the errors and, and writing a clearer narrative. And in the process of that comes a lot of research, a lot of writing, a lot of rewriting, a lot of redrafting. Um, and it's interesting to see how far a kernel of an idea, which we talked mm. about with um, a couple guests who've come onto the podcast. Uh, Sean McMullen was one of them. And we talked with him about how does an idea form? Like what, how does an idea uh, germinate? And then where does it go from there? And I suppose... This podcast is all about what happens when an idea just goes a bit nuts when when, <laughs> th- when things happen and you know we have yeah. the monster and yeah. you know Frankenstein doesn't want that to happen but mm. um yeah it, working on this working on this draft um there's a couple things that that popped up which is the story always changes because something I didn't intend came out of it. And then it throws a wrench in the works and what we call a block is often a mistake that we've made earlier in the, uh, in the draft. Um, so how, do, how does that happen for you? Let's start with you, Alison.
3: Well, I think that I have to backtrack slightly because I write, sure. in, I write in a very uh, different manner. Um, so I spend a long time planning my structure. Yep. Mm. Um, and I have, um, I don't know if you've read Save the Cat and Save the Cat Strikes Back, it uses a corkboard um, uh, method and right. it's, very, it's based on uh, screenwriting. <laughs> um, and I use it for my novel writing. So I, I have um, a number of cards um, set up mm. in yep. Act 1, Act 2, right. Act 3. Um, and so I spend a lot of time thinking about that structure and I spend even more time thinking about the two core ingredients of how all of my scenes are going to swing mm. and that's the need and the goal of the main character. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that often a, a narrative can get out of control if you're not... If, you're, if you've got an ensemble cast.
2: Mm. Yes. Yep, yep. Um,
3: now, an ensemble cast... I have written an ensemble cast with um, Killing the Rabbit, which is now called um, A New Kind of Death. I've, I've mm. republished it as A New Kind of Death, which is my um, contemporary... Well, it was contemporary when it was first published. Contemporary <laughs> crime novel. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and that has... Um, Two third-person narratives and mm. one first-person.
0: Right, right. Wow, and um, the a lot. first
3: person is an assassin, a hitman. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he is the spine of the story. Now, when I was writing that, I could sense that because you, as soon as you have a first-person narration, you borrow that immediacy and that sympathy. Yep. Yep. That's what I wanted. I wanted to borrow that, yep. but it also can be very overwhelming mm. um, over a third-person. Yeah. Two p- third-person characters. Mm. So, what I did was I wrote the story and I was uh, alternating the um, the chapters. But I wrote them on, on my my um, kind of uh, cork board in different colours. And this is literally what I did. This is mm. uh, very crude. When I'd finished, I stepped back, squinted my eyes mm-hmm. and, s- uh. and to see what colours, how the colours merged and wh- what colour was too dominant. Yep. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it w- cool. it's a way of doing it. Uh, yeah. And then I realised that I had to pull some of the first-person narration out yep. to balance
2: right?
3: the rest of it. Um, I mean, you use whatever way you can yeah. to actually balance these things because you've got to think, well, what, is, what, are, the, um, um, what are the point of views doing to the story? Um, yeah. who's, I mean, basically the very thing you've got to say is whose story is it? Mm-hmm. Is it really an ensemble story? Is there someone coming further out into the, into yep. the kind of sympathy of the reader? Mm. If that's the case, then maybe it is that person, that protagonist's story. if mm. isn't it isn't a true ensemble story, then you know you've got to find a way to balance that through the the structural story itself. I think
4: mm. Mm. Mm.
1: it's interesting when you mention characters because yeah it's it's a thing that I've seen happen within my own work and also mm. within other novels. It's like characters, and and this is a sort of a different topic, but related to this, is that characters appear when you need something to happen in the book. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of that deus ex machina where it's like, well, now a cool character appears to keep you interested in the story. And the problem with that is, is often these characters will stay, but the characters that preceded that often get overshadowed or forgotten, mm-hmm. even though they're the through, ri- through line of the story. Yeah. And you can get to the end of the book and you're like, well, I guess that was an ending, but Whose story was that yeah. in the end?
3: Yeah. I mean, every character that comes up into your book is obviously going to have a, an important... You know, it's going to have yeah. to be important enough to have a, a role. If they've got a speaking part. They've got to have a... Um, you know, they've got to be important enough for that. But I think of it like this, and this is partly mm. borrowed from McKee, mm. is that um, your protagonist... Is the axle around which all of the other characters are, are around yeah, they 're they're actually feeding into that, and each each of those characters secondary characters yeah, around spokes, your protagonist yeah. is going to be showing some part or something particular about your protagonist yep. they 'll obviously mm. have their role within the uh, plot as well mm, mm. Uh, helper mentor yeah. antagonist yep. yeah secondary anca- antagonist, yeah that kind of thing, but they 're also showing some part of that protagonist 's dilemma hmm.
4: mm. um,
3: because you know uh, not only do we have the need and goal that we we're swinging our scenes around so each you know you're you um you're, uh, you've asked the question uh you know what if um a young boy b- discovers he's a wizard yeah. Sorry right. guys. <laughs> that's a great idea. Hey, whoa! Let's wow. <laughs> that's gonna get public shocking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the infringement lawyer uh, On yeah, their okay. way. On their way. <laughs> on their way. Yeah, that's the question. And yeah. And um, yeah, the question is, um, can he become a, yeah. a true wizard? Hmm. Um, and every scene should be swinging around, around that yes, that. no, yep. yes, no, yep. yes, no. It's the um, positive
1: balance, right? Yeah, it's the positive yeah. negative scenes.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's 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 going to be you're going to be discussing and exploring yeah. that question, that whole novel question. Of course, we have smaller questions as well that are being asked along the way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you're trying to refine. Mm. Each scene that you're looking at on a redraft, you know, each scene has to work hard for its living.
4: Yep. Yeah.
3: Um, if it's not in any way exploring that question in some way, then out it, it goes.
2: Yeah, then it's gone. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you mentioned um, thread, and I, I come back to uh, um, John Le Carr's. Um, uh, I'm having a mind blank. Uh, everyone's doing it tonight. Yeah. Uh, uh, we come back to jo- uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, yes. in yeah. which he literally talks about a thread uh, that's that's being traced uh, by John Smiley through the through the story, um, and that that's actually what I often come back to when I begin to think about trying to narrow down a story that I've written. I, I begin kind of visualizing and when i'm reading i'm looking for that thread that i'm pulling along the whole time to pull the the reader through and to make sure that, that it's it's coming back to that and you don't end up um it's almost like uh like sound waves when you're visualizing you know you're yeah. branching out too much and creating too much noise so that it distracts from that um, and that's when, when, a, when a thread is done beautifully and you can see it a lot. And that's why, you know, great screenwriting is so impressive. And, and and watching the prestige just a few hours ago, I was so impressed that from the first moment, uh, and so big spoilers here but from the first moment, the first thing you see is actually the entire concept of the movie. Mm. It's right there. You, you have a guy who crushes a bird and kills it and produces another one. And the whole movie is just right there in front of you. And then every scene it works really hard yeah, to be death and there. Rebirth, it's, yeah. it's got something to do with it. And I was just, I was watching it and kind of, because I've been thinking about screenwriting so much, uh, it was, it held up so well to that screen. Yeah. Whereas The Matrix, which is the other movie I watched today, uh, wasn't quite as good at pulling, it wasn't as tight, nowhere near as tight. Mm-hmm. So very interesting, though. Yeah. The, I think The Matrix lived and died on its premise. Yeah.
1: Whereas The Prestige lived and died on like the writing of the concept of, yeah. like, that mm. key question of death and rebirth. And even in their, in their relationships, in all the characters in that movie, there's constant death and rebirth going yep. on as well, which yeah. is crazy if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, a curious thing is, in your, your novel, the one that you've been mm. working on for a while now, it, from what you've told me, it has a, a lot of characters in yep. it. How do you balance that?
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's been an interesting thing. I was, I was thinking about this um, because uh, when I come to... The first book was... Feel, it got easier. It was easier at the start. And by the time it kind of um, branched out to the third book, it had really um, got a bit out of hand, I think, so I had to pull things back. Um, but in the first book, I, I mainly uh, focused on three characters, and I found that... Um, I, I had the main pro- the main thing about the issue that I had the main issue I had actually was was that I had two stories going on and I didn't realize this until I got to the end and you know you look back on what you've written and you say oh okay actually I thought I was telling a story about this but the story is actually about something else yeah um, so for me I I kind of had to go through again and there's still some parts I want to rework around that because um, I feel like that thread isn't quite as quite as tight and it was more that I was trying to tell the story. Of the wider empire that I've written about, as opposed to telling the story of of this boy, yeah. which is uh, which is actually what the story is about, and it's a fairly simple premise. And if you were to sum up the books I've written, um, and, and it is about this boy and about his his journey. So, yeah, that's yeah, kind I of think where all. I came
3: premises back to. are very simple, you know? yes. yeah. I mean, but if you yeah. boil it yeah. down, mm, yeah, yeah, it's, down. it's the logline kind of thing. That kind of you know, yep. you know, with Lady Hellas, you know, what happens when a Regency lady discovers she's a warrior mm. I mean you've got that kind of opposition of warrior and lady yep. you yep. know and that's exactly the opposition in the books um, mm. you know is how do you overcome s- a civilized behavior to become a warrior yeah. You yeah. Know, that kind of and that kind of genteel mm. um, kind of thing so yeah that the premise I mean I, I you know I th- I do a lot of pre-work before I actually start writing so that when mm. I when I start that through line, uh, I've, I, know, I mean it's it, you said that you know sometimes um, you feel like new stuff comes up and the story kind of gets out Well, I think that it's always a pro- an organic process yeah. you're always having to readjust yeah. that through line because you know that the old um idea of you know are you a plot writer or are you a character writer it's yeah. it's it's a non question yeah. you know your character makes decisions which pushes forward the plot yeah. um and so sometimes that character that you've created is making decisions, and if they're true decisions to that character, they may not be hitting those beats that you thought you yep. were going to be writing. Yeah. So therefore you've got to adjust. You either rewrite the character to hit those beats hmm. or you readjust the beats in the story. Um, hmm. And that's all that organic back and forth, back and forth. And it happens all the time. Um, hmm. You know, you I, I think every plan... You know, what do they say? Write a plan, and God will laugh. Yeah, right? yeah that's right. Yeah, <laughs> especially for writers. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> um, but you know, um, yeah, I I have these beats in my that I have written, yeah, that I've written mm. that I generally want to happen to make that plot work. Mm-hmm. And so there is that toing and froing between character and plot to to make it work.
2: How, uh, go for it, Ian. I was just going to say, I, I tend to, um, in terms of when I'm plotting i I tend to actually come up with certain key scenes Mm -hmm. and things in my mind which i think are going to look really cool and then those are i mean the whole books that i wrote began with with one idea in mind and I, i wrote to reach that point but how i got there was very different from how i thought i was going to get there in the beginning because i thought that it would be a certain way and i think it's it's knowing i think it's yeah to your point knowing when when to change the character and knowing when to let the story uh, tell itself, and that was something that I I learnt about writing definitely in the doing because it surprised me how the story just would not go. I know I could not force it to go the way I thought it was going to go, mm-hmm. and and as I tr- I remember trying to do it and then just realising you know what that's that's just not going to
4: happen.
3: Yeah, <clears throat> you construct a, a character with a set of um, beliefs with a with a you yeah. know an artificial personality, so to yeah. speak, and yeah. um, and they will make the decisions according to those uh, parameters, parameters that you have yeah. set up. Um, and if you start forcing them to make decisions for the plot – I mean, we've all seen it. We've all seen yeah. it in movies and mm. books. You're yeah. like, no, that wouldn't yeah, happen. Happens. Oh, no, no, that wouldn't happen. You know? <laughs> and you think, well, why would they do that? And often it comes up, well, why did they do that? Mm. Um, yeah. Because the motivation is not set up. I mean, I'm yes. a very big um, – yeah, I call it covering your ass. Yeah, um, right. Where you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, is the motivation rock solid? Yep, you yep. know, um, mm. is that flowing on? You know, does that is it a, the causal relationship for each character has to be rock
4: yep. rock solid? Yeah.
3: Otherwise, people are saying, "Well, why would they do that?" Yeah. You know, yep. and that doesn't make sense, and and um, that's death.
1: Yeah. Um. With with plot you mentioned, I think there's also a thing that happens where it's like. It can happen that there is just too much plot. There is just too much oh, yeah. going on in the story that just completely ruins the narrative. And, like, you start off let, – let, let's just create an example, shall we? Careful. We We start off and we start off with a farm boy um, mm-hmm. who discovers he's a prince and his destiny is to take over the kingdom right. and rule the kingdom. Irrelevant to whether the kingdom was ruled better in the past, but hey, fantasy is not kind like that. <laughs> yeah. um, but his destiny is to rule the kingdom, right? So we, we enter this premise and we're like, yeah, we totally believe this. Right. And then the story goes like, oh, yes, but then he has to you know, conquer the neighboring lands in order mm-hmm. to bring peace to this other place that is required. And the problem with that is you get to the stage where the narrative at the start of just becoming the king isn't good enough, isn't clear enough. Yeah. And that you have this thing happening where it's a domino effect. Yeah. You need more and more and more. And then at the end, you're like, what's the story about exactly? Yeah. And even though it's not as dramatic or as stupid as the example that I gave, it happens a lot, even within books that that are published
2: and are read. Yeah. And people are like... Uh, what's going on here? Ian, you wanted to bring up a certain example. No, well, that's it's exactly what happened in my in my uh, in my first novel. So oh, uh, that's not I had, what I was thinking, uh, yeah, I yes. had. Hey, <laughs> that's not what I was going for. But <laughs> no, hey. it's like, this, but you, you, the way you put it there was perfect because yeah, right. I had a, bo- a boy tries to stop this, uh, you know, automaton uprising. But mm-hmm. at the same time, the, sa- the boy is trying to discover who he is. Yeah. So the question is: Is the story about the boy trying to discover who he is, and in the middle of that, there's this you know, automaton uprising or is it the other way around? And, yeah. and actually finding the way for those two to work together was the big problem that I had. So mm-hmm. the way that you put it there, it becomes unclear that it wasn't enough. The first premise. So yeah. yes, I, I absolutely take your point there.
3: I think that, um, finding an idea, a premise that has the meat to mm-hmm. hold a novel. Not every, every idea does, yep. you know, some, yep. some are short yep. stories, some are novellas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're building a, a novel, I mean, I write 140,000 word novels. There's, right. a, there's a lot of words. Yeah, yeah and that's mm. a lot of words. And it's, <laughs> it's a lot of ideas and it's a lot of um, um, thematic lines to control, mm. you know, and there's secondary characters and things like that. So um, all of these things, you know, um, overcomplicating a, a premise is quite easy, especially if you're using magic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Magic systems. I have systems. asked people to slap <laughs> me around the head again if ever I wanted to create another <laughs> magic system. system <laughs> yeah. Oh
2: dear, so many magic systems. I yep. never tried once. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh,
3: oh yeah. Uh, and yeah, I did it asshole. again. Yeah, um, yeah. but um, because of the because of the uh, wonder and the potential within magic yeah. systems, it's why I go back to the to the horror <laughs> yeah. of yeah. creating them. But yeah. um, it's very easy to complicate. Mm. Yeah these ideas yep, uh, and I have true. I have found that you know I think oh you know um when I'm writing I'm thinking oh this has got to happen this has got to happen no it doesn't yep. no it doesn't just yeah. strip that out yeah it's, you know just yep. strip it out um, and keep to the main line yeah. Uh, yeah and that's um that I think is a is it's very much a disciplined <laughs> thing you know you want you if you've got that all those ideas great but in side books yep. yeah know, yeah
1: exactly <laughs> yeah that's exactly right I I know that intimately. <laughs> yeah,
2: and, well, I think any any writer that's that's intent on really uh, yeah. mastering their craft is going to learn that lesson yeah. of of cutting You're things out. You're doing too much. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't. I don't think anyone would claim to be perfect at it, but it, it's certainly knowing knowing when to say, you know what, that yeah, that's a nice to have. I guess it's the it's the nice to have, need to have kind of thing, you know. Yeah, um, and have
3: be ruthless. Absolutely ruthless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. kill yeah. I your I
2: mean, darlings. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's there's something I wrote down here that. Um, You've mentioned
1: very briefly, but it's the sickening realization that perhaps the reason your story is unclear because it wasn't very good. Is that too? <laughs>
3: yeah, uh, you know, I mean, good. It's it's a very kind of judgmental yeah, thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I, I would talk more about depth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, does it it's have the enough. depth? You know. Um. Does it have that kind of? Yeah. Such a airy fairy word, but heart. Yeah. Does <laughs> right. <it> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, does it have that kind of? Let's try and break this down into something that's a bit more useful. Um, does it have passion behind it? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we all start off with passion, I think. And then you get to about 40,000 words. You think, oh, my God, where's my passion gone? <laughs> yeah. um, and then you get over that and yeah. you find the passion again. That's 40,000 words is actually my passion-free area. Oh, uh, and okay. now I've just got to do the slog and then I'm over it and I'm on the way again. Yeah. Mine's it, 20. I yeah. get to 20 <laughs> yeah. and I'm just like... <laughs> Can I just stop yeah. and make a novella? Yeah. And then
1: I get over that. I'm like, yeah. all right, we're good now. Yeah, yeah you've got to get
3: over it, you know. Um, yeah, so it's um, – I've got completely sidetracked by pa- oh, passion, yes. Passion, um, so, yeah. yeah, has it got the passion behind it? Um, when I was studying with Gerald Monnet, I, I studied um, professional writing with him as a degree, and he talked about obsession. Um, about the way what is obsessing you and often themes will obsess a writer that's why we see writers writing the same ideas Mm. or the same books Mm. because they're obsessed with them i mean i'm i'm obsessed by women's empowerment Mm. and Mm -hmm. and the and power relationships Mm -hmm. um not only between the genders uh, genders, but also between um you know levels of society and things like that so that is one of my passions and that drives me quite a bit um so, you know, th- these are the engines yeah. mm. of, of a good story. Yeah. You know, these kind of obsessions and these passions. Um, it's not means that everyone will share the same passion. Mm. You know, you're lucky if that happens, if you happen to f- hit a nerve and suddenly it's a bestseller because it hits a universal right. passion. Yeah. Yeah. And we all, we all try to find those universals. I mm. mean, we are um, part of writing is about um, finding those universal ways of, of of being human. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And what are those what are those kind of ways that we yeah. we experience the world. And um, communicate with each other. Yeah, and yeah. communicate with our other or don't, you know, don't, that yeah. that kind of stuff. So mm. um so yeah, so you know, maybe maybe yours or my um passion happens to have a very narrow mm. <laughs> yep. yeah. readership. Narrow focus, you know yeah. um or maybe it doesn't, you know, it yeah. just depends on what that that passion is. But mm-hmm. um I think it's one of the most difficult things to determine of how much meat a story, a story idea has. Yeah.
1: Mm. Mm. Um, you mentioned at the start of, uh, before we recorded, um, Game of Thrones.
2: Yeah, yeah, Song of Ice and Fire. It's um, because, because it just leaps to mind when you think about things getting big. Um, and I, I think that, <coughs> pardon me. Mm-hmm. bad time to cough uh, if, if you think about uh, that that need to be ruthless look I think George R, R. Martin wh- from what you see of his writing he tends to just do what he wants to do and look that's okay he's sold enough books to, to warrant that, <laughs> he's, war- that he's got that right so <laughs> he's just he's doing it and he is a, a unique case it's the first time I'm sure it's the first time in history that a TV series based on a book has overtaken the books so I don't think yeah. that's yeah mm-hmm. ever happened before mm-hmm. um, and what you see so I was thinking about the at uh, the Two things. The out-of-character thing um, was seen very clearly in uh, in Game of Thrones at one stage. I'm going to throw a minor spoiler out there for you. Okay. Mm. Um, which is when uh, Jamie Lannister, uh, yeah. he uh, rapes his sister. Yeah. Which does not happen in the books. Yeah. It's not a thing in the books, but... Clearly, it was used as a tool to get to the point of separating him from his sister in the shows, but it's out of character for Jamie. Yep. It's, he he would not do it in the book. The guy has has reformed in the book. He's one of the most fascinating characters to read because he goes from being a total ass yeah. to being someone that you're actually rooting for. And so when that happened, that's why... The, people were up in arms, the blogosphere exploded and Twitter and Facebook, and you know, was like, what is going on? That didn't happen in the books. And I think the reason people are so upset about it is it doesn't quite fit in with the character.
4: Yeah,
3: Does it fit in with the television character? I don't.
2: I don't. No, still not. No. It's Mm. it's a tool to to drive a. And a terrible tool to drive a wedge between him and his sister. Like, you know, sexual violence as it just.
3: And he knowingly does this. It's a knowing act. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And uh, it's kind of just. To me, it's kind of an inexcusable writing uh, blunder that the showrunners made. Either that or the showrunners just did know how to write that scene. Is
1: what is another thing that comes to mind? It's like if they didn't intend it to be that, you should have done a better job about it, basically. Because, yeah.
2: Uh, but what so uh, moving from that though the the yeah. reason for some of that happening is that the, they they have to speed the show through they have to yeah, drop right. you know, entire story arcs are cut you know some characters live and die and you never hear of them yeah you know um but the the, the thing that Game of Thrones does is that these little parts of this world get added on and I don't know if they necessarily necessary necessarily necessary you know i don't yeah. know if you needed to hear about them because th- th- it just keeps expanding and expanding and suddenly we're hearing about this kingdom and that kingdom and we're over the sea and we're over here and uh it's just got so huge and you're kind of left wondering well we all know that it's going to come to a certain point where you, you know the the undead are gonna have to be fought off but yeah How's it going to get there? I don't know. It's we all know so that huge. that's
1: going to happen in the end, right? And it's just yeah. the getting there that. But the thing is, it takes a, it takes a bloody long time to get there. And then in the show, rather, mm. and also there's a curious thing that happens in the show is that um, the the books and the show both mirror the whole idea of. Um, very low fantasy Mm. um, moving towards epic fantasy. And and it's a thing that happened in the books and it's a conscious thing, I believe. Uh, But I think within the TV show, I don't think it knows exactly where it is in any one scene. Mm -hmm. Um, It has the gravitas of a, um, I don't know, uh, the wire in mm. you know in one scene, and then it's you know, ju- you know Tolkien Sh- and cello or something. Yeah, like, yeah. it's yeah. it's very like blasé about something else, and you're mm-hmm. like, hey, eh? yeah. So th- there's that going but on that's as a, well. That's a
3: tonal. Uh, that's a real problem. big tonal problem. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's it's a thing because it's all happening within the same story. Yeah. Mm. So they're trying to make. A through line and they're trying to put all these elements onto the show. Now, all credit to them, the show is doing incredibly well, so these criticisms are probably (laughs) they care, yeah, yeah. For for the writing nerds among us, but you know, for the general audience. Is there a tonal
3: problem in the novels?
1: I don't think so. No, not in the novels. Not the
2: novels are consistent. The novels are just too bloated. I mean, uh, especially
1: when, in the later novels.
2: The later novels, especially, there's an entire um, arc of without any spoilers. There's an entire arc of Tyrion's storyline, which is just him traveling in a carriage for like a year. I swear, it's just. And I, I remember reading it, just going, "Nope, nope, nope." I was skimming because I was just like, "I, I do not see the point in this." I know he's going somewhere, and I know you're trying to do something, but I don't. I don't really. Well, care. I mean, the,
3: the basic basic principle of all fiction is Make something happen. happen. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: Something has to happen.
3: <laughs> not happening. And you're like, get out of the carriage, would you please? <laughs> See, uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: See, the thing is, in a scene, right? And mm. and when we say make something happen, it doesn't need to be an action scene, right? Yeah. We're not no, saying no, that. No, no, no. We're, we're saying that, like, yeah. there has to be a shift. Something has to, a value needs change. to change. Yeah. Oh, the but, McKee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Values. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, for, those, for
3: those who don't know the yeah. shift, shall we just have a quick Go rundown? Go for it. Yeah. For, so we start off a scene with the character having an intention yep. um that that intention is not met mm. the expectation it's not met and therefore there's a shift in the um character from a value so perhaps from happiness to sadness yep um perhaps from anticipation to disappointment yep things like that so that is what we're talking about we're talking about this shift within mm. the, within the protagonist or point of view character of that yeah. scene
1: yeah, yeah exactly and and it's that it's getting to that stage where if nothing is happening, yeah. why is that scene yeah, here? Absolutely. You've got to look yeah. at
3: every scene like that. If, they, yeah. if nothing happens, it's not working hard enough. Yeah,
1: yeah. exactly. I think um, Sean Coyne is an um, editor and he put together a book called the story grid Mm -hmm. um and it's a book that goes on what um mckee has already established in his lectures and in his book and you know works on the idea of values and he expands on the idea of what a value is Mm. um within multiple tonal shifts it's a very fascinating book and if you're interested in the whole inside baseball of writing then you know Mm. totally check that out Mm. um but we're getting towards the end of the episode. Hmm. Uh, I feel like we can talk about this till the cows come home. Sure, oh, okay. yeah, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All writing nerds here. Um, but thank you very much for listening. Alison, why don't you tell us what you've got coming up for us and where can people find you?
3: Sure. Um, well, my second novel in the Lady Helen series, um, Lady Helen and the Dark Days Pact, is out. December 19, just in time for Christmas. There you go. A <laughs> <The> plug. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, um, it's a Regency adventure mm-hmm. with Supernatural as well, with a touch yep. of Supernatural. Um, and you can check it all out at www.darkdaysclub.com There you go. Or I'm on Twitter at Allison Goodman.
1: Fantastic. Um, here, here's, a, here's a suggestion. So what if we created book covers mm-hmm. that are themed for different holidays? So, for instance, specifically, let's say Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say you have you mentioned Christmas. Say you had your book cover, and there's like an inside the cover where you pull out, and it self wraps the book.
3: Oh. It self wraps the book. Self wrapping book. It's
1: like it's like slipped into the cover like yep. a leaf and yeah. then you just pull yeah. it out and just yeah. wrap it across I,
2: I say yeah. patent it quickly Joel <laughs> <laughs> well, some, you got you know, already stolen already stolen already yeah. stolen Forget yeah. It. Yeah. Ian where can people find you now you can find me on twitter at ihlaking or at mm-hmm. Uh and yeah keep an eye out I'm in the throes of organizing a novella <clears throat> uh, next inspector Ambrose novella to be out in time for Christmas as well. Hey, <laughs> looking forward to it. There you go. Um,
1: well, you can find the morning bell, the Um, they're not taking submissions anymore for the journal. It's shut. Um, and they're going through some maintenance. So you're going to, they're going to be in the dark for a little bit, but there'll be the podcast. Will ever keep going. Oh, yeah. Um, you can find that on the podcast archives page, which is also on their website. You can find me at The Pen of Joel on Twitter and on my website, thepenofjoel.com. I will put together the self wrapping book post haste. <laughs> if people can't read but my does it writing, it have a ribbon as well. Yeah, um, maybe. yeah. Maybe. maybe. Maybe the Pop ribbon is ribbon. the actual pull through. Oh. That's the thing you have to pull out. Oh. Wow. See, I've thought this out. See, if you can't write well, Ian, have you just ca- have to come up with a gimmick, like I need to. Does it have a card? Um, see that? Maybe it's the cover.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I have a pop-up card. Just pop it out. There All you right. go. Yeah, a gift tag.
1: There you go. Yeah, that was easy. Fantastic. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you on the next episode.